0: Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley. With me, as always, is my co-host and Rangeley's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, October 18th, and today we're going to start with a bit of discussion on Walmart, and then we'll move on to Yum! Brands and its pending spinoff of its China business, Uh, So, Chris, Walmart, a little bit of background. In August, Business Week had this long expose on them called Walmart's Out-of-Control Crime Problem is Driving the Police Crazy. And we almost did a podcast on it then. Uh, You know, the article was talking about how Walmart has seen this crazy rise in stealing and theft. Uh, They they gave one example of in Tulsa, four Target stores had had 300 police calls over the past year, whereas the four Walmart stores in the Tulsa area had had the police called 2,000 times. They talk about how some policemen have set up permanent stations inside of Walmarts. and, And they mentioned, hey, Walmart's cut wages to the bone. They've cut employees out. And they think that this is kind of why people think it's okay to steal from them. Well, this week, the New York Times comes out with an article called How Did Walmart Get Cleaner Stores and Higher Sales? It Paid Its People More. And it just discusses how Walmart's seeing this problem and is trying to invest in employees, increase their wages, and they're starting to see improved customer service ratings. Uh, they're starting to see improved employee ratings, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I've talked a lot, Chris. I'm going to turn it over to you. Let's discuss, uh, you know... Walmart raising the rages, Walmart's corporate culture, wherever you want to go with this. Let's talk about it.
1: Walmart, Walmart was getting grim. You know, you yep. look at their competition and mm-hmm. the types of competition that are picked off by the kind of brighter and cheerier target. Uh, Costco, where you can go to fill your SUV up with stuff that you need or don't need. Amazon, where most people, I mean, the percentage of people I read recently who make a uh, hundred and a hundred thousand dollars and more that have prime membership now for just incidentals is getting extremely high. And so you leave Walmart with Uh, People who are otherwise not uh, getting served by these competitors, and it was getting a little grim. A lot of them were committing crimes, uh, uh, and uh, the the crimes were interesting. I I always thought, why doesn't a criminal go to a wealthy place and steal expensive stuff? Mm -hmm. But for... Street level crime—it's not really about expensive stuff, as uh, kiteable stuff. I mean, they'll steal detergents, popular, a lot of things you can get at Walmart. But it was getting—it uh, was getting pretty rough, and it looks like they are taking steps to turn the corner.
0: Yeah, look. I completely agree with you, and it's interesting the the WalMarts on the out of control crime problem. They they've got quotes where they're like, "Hey, why did you steal this from Walmart and not Target?" And the people are just like, "Oh, and steal from Target? Like, well, it, It's just a strange culture where people thought it was okay to go steal from Walmart. Uh, you know, I think raising their wage, raising wages like this is really interesting. A lot of people have called it the test case for the efficiency wage, mm-hmm. which is this thesis where. Uh, if you raise wages, even though you might think, oh, I'm increasing my costs. Actually, your employees are more loyal. Your employees work harder. And wait, raising wages isn't actually a stepping stone to raising profits. And, you know, I think it's interesting if you look at the corporate cultures of Starbucks and Whole Foods, they've really been built on. We give our employees health care. We give our employees good benefits. This is a place where you build a career. And that's why those places have succeeded so much. And Walmart moved away from it. I think it's interesting to think about that.
1: There's, there's a lot – that employees do that is both intangible and hard to monitor minute to minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can complain about an employee who doesn't clock in on time, but that day that week that month. It's a, there's a lot of things that people do behind your back that can make your business a lot more valuable. Um and I've heard Steve Wynn talk about this more than anybody else about kind of the amount of hospitality at his uh, casinos that he wants and uh, really get enthusiastic about uh catching employees who do this and Boy, just paying them more helps uh, get a lot more of that mentality and ownership.
0: Yeah, in a way, it also reminds me of like Henry Ford, you know, the, mm-hmm. the famous thing is in the, I, I guess it was in the 1910s or whatever, uh, working on a the manufacturing line. The assembly line; it was just a hellish job, and they were paying people. I believe it was under two fifty a day, and you know people were quitting as fast as they can. Train them. He raised wages to five dollars, and people thought he was crazy. But by doubling wages and offering a premium wage, people became really loyal to the company, and they were really uh, it, it, they were great employees. And you wonder, you know, working on a manufacturing line very similar to working at Walmart. I think one of the things you've said very frequently is. Don't worry about what happens – kind of worry about what happens if people follow the rules. And like you were saying, if you've got these unhappy minimum wage employees who don't really care about their jobs – Who cares if they check in on time? You're worried if they're checking in on time and, you know, smoking pot in the bathroom or actively turning customers down. So very interesting.
1: Uh, We're also talking about pretty small figures, too. I mean, they're raising it up to its pretty modest wages. I think for a lot of these people, you know, one of the things that uh, is just handled so much better in the private sector than the public sector in terms of how wages are done is that a lot of people at very low wage scales are young or teenagers Mm -hmm. and are really facilitating something else i mean these are athletes these are entrepreneurs these are people whose life mission is not that job Mm -hmm. and who hopefully and probably won't be in that job for long that's what they want to do to have worked on their resume and as a teenager that's what they want to do to facilitate something else that's important to them or to supplement what their family makes
0: yeah and and, you know so I think this is a step in the right direction for Walmart. You know, I I think they need to get the company culture turned around. You mentioned a lot of these people are teenagers who Mm -hmm. this is – and I think one of the things with raising the wages is hoping to get people who want to be at Walmart and build careers with Walmart. I think that's important. Uh, You know, I think turning your store store operations – you kind of mentioned it. It's very important to get your store operations turned around because if your store operations are awful, online shopping is just this cheap and a lot more convenient. So why go to the store where no one cares? But you know, I it's a step in the right direction this the jet.com acquisition where maybe they can finally get their online stores turned around but I still can't help but wonder you know, you're taking a short-term hit for long-term gain now, great, but is Walmart kind of this the Sears of the late 1980s, early 1990s where they're this dead walking corporate giant and they just don't know that they've they've been killed yet
1: uh amazon's killing everybody and uh my joke has been you have to uh fit into the things that uh, amazon explicitly uh forbids to be sold in their site in order to have a chance to not get killed by amazon will this be, be their biggest trophy in their trophy room uh they're putting pressure on Walmart. Prices. Uh, Walmart is not going to have any particular community loyalty. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's you know, you know, they crushed the competitors that had community loyalty. So you don't go to Walmart for some aesthetic reason, Mm -hmm. the way that you still go to coffee for aesthetic reasons. Um, I I think in terms of the mission and uh, for Walmart, what's really important to Walmart communities is there's a kind of an elite snobbery against Walmart. I think. From people who presuppose that they can buy all the things at Walmart, anyways, but from the customers, from the, especially. Uh, middle class and lower, lower middle class mm-hmm. people who can have a lot of things in their lives as a normal part of 21st century life because of Walmart and globalization that was part of the life only of the wealthy a generation before. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I noticed, I mean, air conditioning is one that I always notice um, uh, with family in Virginia where it's hot in the summers. Um, that was something that was much more of a class divide. And now it's just not a class <laughs> divide for for a nominal amount. You can go buy
0: a window unit for like $150 mm-hmm. or something. Is exactly what People you're who
1: work at Walmart can all have air conditioning in their home because of Walmart. Yeah,
0: it's funny to read the stories. I think in the 1990s they were like uh they couldn't capture Walmart in the inflation statistics. So everybody's like, we're massively overinflating inflation because Walmart's over there selling for everything cheaper and cheaper every mm-hmm. day. And we don't capture any of those gains. So it, it's just amazing the effect it's had on it. But it, it's kind of crazy to think this giant corporate behemoth uh, it could be going away. It could be, you know, this, this year's today. You want the last word or you want to move on to Yum? Let's move on. Okay, so Yum! Brands. Uh, So Yum! It's the company that owns Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC. They're spinning off their Chinese business at the end of this month. And just a quick overview of what a spinoff is. Sometimes a a corporate conglomerate or a company will own two businesses that are unrelated under the same roof. So you know, a a conglomerate might own a steel plant and a TV station. So in this case, an investor would own one stock and one company that owns two different businesses. Mm -hmm. And a split off, the the company will take the two businesses and split them off and give each investor a new share in the new business. So now the investor will own one share in a steel plant, one share in a uh, TV station. So they own two stocks and two companies but each company is only one business. Yum, in this case, they are spinning off their Chinese business. Uh, it's a move that's been agitated for years by several invested investors, including Corvex Management. And the stock has run up 24% year to date, kind of anticipation of this Chinese spin-off. Uh, Chris, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. You know, why do companies spin off? Why do companies spin off divisions? What do you think happens to Yum from here? I'll, I'll let you kind of take it.
1: Decade to decade, there's kind of different fads in what investors think they want. And so sometimes uh, businesses conglomerate, sometimes they deconglomerate. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, more and more what you see is different constituencies for different types of investments. And I coming up with an analogy on the fly, it's like, chili ice cream. There might be some people who like chili, some people like ice cream, but you put the two together, there's not a natural constituency for it. And this separates them out. And uh, so I think that you can in many times identify value that is perceived to be hidden within the corporate structure, especially if there are different parts that are valued on different metrics.
0: Yep, yep, 100% agree. And it's kind of funny because Yum! itself is actually a spinoff of of PepsiCo. Uh, 20 years ago, they were... PepsiCo looked around and was like, hey, wait, why do we own all of these franchise businesses? So they spun Yum off, and now Yum's spinning off. Uh, So... exactly right i think spin offs another really powerful effect of them is they can focus management right if you're running the tv station and it's a tv station plus a steel plant and you've got a ceo on top of you you might not you're incentivized in stock that is tv station plus steel plant stock mm-hmm. you don't have full control of your capital allocation sometimes they might lean on you to take some cash flow to invest in the steel operation when you've got perfectly good things to invest in the tv station for political reasons they'll say uh, you know, you spin it off, now you're your own boss, you're incentivized. A lot of times these spin off, it's focus, you realize a lot of cost cuts, there are kind of corporate dis-synergies from being under a bigger roof that are real- that are realized once you spin out. In this case, people are hoping, you know, Yum's China business, it owns, it's a massive uh, operation, it owns over 7,000 restaurants in over 1,100 cities, uh, and they actually own all of those restaurants. So, Super complex uh, organization that has been on hard times since they had a food scare. I think they're really hoping that by spinning off, management can really take control of those issues. And Yum itself, uh, you know, the KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut brands, they're all kind of struggling. So by spinning off, maybe they can focus on turning those brands around in America. Go ahead.
1: Specialization was the topic of the first chapter of Wealth of Nations. It's kind of this intrinsic part of uh, of capitalism, and just uh, it's amazing how much better. Uh, things can be managed when they are focused as a business. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that if they're allowed to increasingly specialize, they tend to improve. Also, bigness can be a corporate defense that uh, you have these uh, monolithic businesses. They can be very hard to acquire. So one thing that tends to happen is once you've kind of rationalized, specialized the businesses uh, in areas that make sense, they're not only more transparent to investors who mm-hmm. can focus on the most relevant metrics, judge management quarter to quarter, uh, but also strategic and private equity buyers can often buy the parts uh, at times and places where they wouldn't have if, if, if bought the whole.
0: You're, you're 100% correct. Look, we, we, I think one of our favorite places to look at is these big conglomerates that have strategically interesting assets but that buyers might not be able to buy because they're buried within a big company or a bunch of other reasons. And a spin-off often leads to these assets get spun off, get bought out in, in a couple of months, or sometimes tax rules say it has to be a year or two later. But uh, look, you, you're kind of front-running me. When you take a look at Yum Branch China and Yum, what, what do you think the next steps for these guys are?
1: Um, I think that uh, either one – uh, could be takeout candidates eventually in a way that they wouldn't have if they were together.
0: Yeah. So look, when I when I look at Yum Brands itself, I, I I think this is either the first step towards one of two things. Look, I don't understand why you would have KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell on all under the same roof. Mm-hmm. Like these are huge companies, and there's no reason they need to be together. Correct. So I think you could see more spinoffs. Yep. Possibly a Taco Bell spun, Taco Bell spun out of them. Or going the other way, you know, you look over at our our old friend Warren Buffett and 3G Capital, they own uh, restaurant brands international. I don't think they changed its name from Burger King to Restaurant Brands International because they only want to sell Whoppers. I think they want to buy some more uh, some more brands and buying Yum. You know, buying Yum would give them. They already have Burger King. They have Tim Hortons. It would also give them a chicken brand, a Mexican brand, and a pizza brand. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I bet there would be a lot of kind of corporate overhead and fat that they could just cut to the bone at uh, at Yum. And last thing before I turn it over to you, I will also mention. People think of 3G as big cost cutters, but their operational management has been excellent. They've really turned the Burger King brand around. They've introduced a lot of new products that have gotten buzz. And I think they could do something very similar at all of these young properties that really need some buzz right now. You
1: just look at uh, Berkshire and you look at the list of things they could buy at their scale. This is on a short list. You look at 3G and you can say if they're the best operation improvers in the world, they should take big bites. And for both of them, the chance they would think about this, I would say is a hundred percent. The chance they might do it is somewhat less, but very real. Yeah. Um,
0: And and, you know, uh, 3G, all of restaurant brands is franchise. One thing about spinning off Yum China, Yum China was the only place where where Yum owned all of their restaurants. mm -hmm. The rest of the business is largely franchise. So spin out Yum China and they're once again, are a much more kind of tasty appetizing bite size for a 3g to come along now go ahead oh my gosh i just used so many uh food (laughs) food metaphors i can't believe how many i just dropped oh that was
1: awful every single one in one (laughs) sentence
0: uh i'll i'll let you have 10 seconds for the last thoughts if you want anything um
1: if anybody has not read uh you can be a stock market genius i think it really Mm -hmm. hits at the value of spins including in many cases the less sexy half of the business when they break apart follow Follow where the management goes, uh, follow where their capital, insider capital goes, and you can see things that you might not see from their subjective description of what they're doing.
0: You know, it, it is a really interesting point, and we might have to do this at a later podcast, but spin spinoffs became all the rage with, you know, a, the rise of activism. Mm-hmm. You can be a stock market genius, all this sort of stuff. Spinoffs became all the rage. And over the past couple of years, you saw this almost flood of, I'll call them crappy spinoffs, mm-hmm. where things were spun off and almost immediately things were going not all of the spinoffs but almost immediately a lot of them went bankrupt or went into distress and and it was very interesting I think managers saw that investors love spinoffs and almost took it one step too far or took advantage of investors appetite for Mm spinoff to spinoff crappy businesses at a very high multiple. So it's been a very interesting trend. There are obviously still great ones, but you need to really, as with everything, you need to make sure what they're doing makes strategic sense. It's not just kind of checking a box. Uh, Strangely enough, as an
1: investor, you don't want them just playing to you as the audience.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I, I think that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, a quick reminder. Uh, if you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. We appreciate everything. And, you know, the more listeners we have, the more likely we are to do more of these. Uh, so, Chris, I don't have any disclosures. I think we kind of briefly touched on Berkshire there. I know you're yep. long a little bit of that, but yep. that's pretty much it for you. That's it. Great. That's it for today. And we will talk to you guys, I think, on Thursday.